title of the message is The Food of Faith is Love. Don't make it more complicated than what it is. Every Christian can grow in faith. And I'm going to show you a very secret to this. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews. And chapter 6. Reading from verse 7. Hebrews chapter 6. Reading from verse 7. Father, before we go to your word, I just pray, God, even as we read from the precious word of God, that it will be soaked up into the hearts of your people, that you will be honored, we will leave her blessed, and our lives will bear much fruit for you. Speak one more time from this pulpit, we ask, that Jesus will be glorified. Amen. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. But dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things. Things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him. How you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers. As you still do. Our desire. Our great desire. Is that you will keep on loving others. As long as life lasts. In order to make certain. That what you hope for. Will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull. And. Indifferent. We could just walk away now. And you could just meditate upon that. When the ground soaks up the falling rain. One of the tremendous revelations of the new covenant. It hit me when Pastor Carter brought me into a revelation that Pastor Wilkerson before that. That in the new covenant we have an open heaven. Amen. The skies only seem like they're brass. They're not brass. They're open for us. And out of that heaven like Malachi chapter 3 says. There's an opening of the storehouses. The blessing of God. And each one of us, the Bible says, have received grace upon grace and blessing upon blessing. In John, in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us. You, you know, I'm here to remind you this morning how blessed you are. Amen. He has lavished his love upon us. That we should be called the children of God or the sons of God. And that is who we are. Amen. There's a, sometimes we need to take a step back and listen to what our identity is and to what God has done in our lives, amen, and to the reality that we now live under in this wonderful covenant with the Father. There's a lavishing of the grace of God. There's this outpouring of God and every Christian has experienced the love of God. The Apostle Paul says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. The incredible thing is the love of God. In actual fact, in Matthew's gospel, they came to Jesus and they said, which is the greatest of the commandments? And he paused for a moment. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. On these principles, all the law of Moses and the prophets hinge upon these things. In actual fact, he said to his disciples, he said, a new Torah, a new commandment, a new law I give to you. Is that you should love one another. 
And so, friends, the Christian life, can't, we should not make it any more complicated than what we need to. We are commanded to love. We are commanded to love. The Apostle John, he was known as the Apostle who Jesus loved. John was the baby of the disciples at the time. He was probably 12 years old, and his brother James was a little older. And you can imagine, he's with these young, you know, all the, all the disciples of Jesus were quite young, but the rest were 16, 17, 19 years of age, maybe a maximum of 20. So John was the baby, and Jesus took him under his arm. And, and he, he experienced a lot of love from Christ because Christ was tender to him. He was young. He was zealous. You know, we, we, you know, we can mischaracterize John. John was also a very tenacious man, a very black and white sort of character, but a, a man that understood the love of God because he received it easier from Christ as a, as a young disciple. And towards the end of his life, the apostle John was asked, apparently in his deathbed, John, tell us what is the most important principle? What is the most important truth? He said, the most important thing is love. And they said, why, John? He said, because you must. Hallelujah. You must. It's about loving people. For God so loved the world. I don't know what lens you're reading your Bible with, but if you don't read it through the lens of love, you will have a skewed view of who God is. What amazes me is why God loves any of us, friends. It absolutely amazes me. I'm 40-odd years a Christian. I've been preaching for 20-odd years. Reared my family. I have a grandfather now. It's the greatest thing in the world. You know that. I just right now could kiss all my grandchildren. Some of them are watching even though they're watching the papa. But it amazes me as you begin to journey. There's nothing really lovely about us, friends. We are selfish. We are fickle. We are short distance runners. Do you understand? We're okay for the 100 meters. But what about the long haul? We can love, you know, soon as, as long as there's something coming back or we feel something from the other person. And so that's not the love that God's called us to, friends. God is, God is calling us to a vulnerable love, a pouring out of ourselves. The Apostle Paul spoke of his own life. I mean, poured out like a drink offering for the love of the people, for the glory of God, friends. And this is, the love of the, this is the life that the Christian is called to. This is how men will all know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. When I stepped into that room last night to get some food, I found myself not eating as much, but enjoying the love. It was amazing. We talked as ministers this morning. We felt more built up in our spirits from going into a room with a thousand Christians that love God and were loving one another. It was better than a hundred sermons. Better than a hundred preachers. It began to show us the power of God's love when we let unleash that in the church, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, knowing that he lavishes his love upon us. Here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Something happens in us, in these selfish Adamic people, in this selfish man. The love of God gets shed abroad in our hearts. And that is the only way that this world is going to be won, friends. It's not going to be won with arguments. It's not going to be won with dogged behavior. It's not going to be won by quoting Bible verses. It's not going to be won by having all your doctrine correct. I have met people with their doctrine correct and there was no love. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that because that's when the ground soaks up the rain and produces nothing. The benevolent love of God shedding abroad in our hearts, washing us daily by the blood, propitiating, satisfying the justice of God, indemnifying us, and the grace that comes upon us second by second, minute by minute, moment by moment, friends, is unrelenting. 
Oh, the unrelenting love of God. And you and I are benefactors of that. You and I imbibe it even when we don't realize it. The love of God shed all over you. And yet, that love sometimes, friends, can, be, can produce a barrenness because there's something wrong in how we receive it. That love flowing out, when the Hebrew writer says, when the, grow, when, when the rain of that love, when that power, when that begins to flow upon the land and that lavishing is poured out, the rain upon the earth, Zachariah says, I will give you rain in the time of the latter rain, flashing clouds. That's what God gives us. He doesn't withhold the Holy Spirit. He doesn't withhold himself. He soaks us. He lavishes us. He bestows upon us his love. But when that love, friends, starts, does not produce a fruit of righteousness, or a harvest for God then we begin to see something else grow the thistle the thorn the briar have you ever met someone another brother and sister that just doesn't get the point they'll argue doctrine till the cows come home and I'm about doctrine the pastors know me well I'm more of a bible teacher than preacher I think I, I love truth but they missed the point. And when you go, there's no real warmth in the embrace. And when you shake the hand, it's like a barb going into your hand. You know, friends, if that's you this morning, there's a way to fruitfulness because that's a barren Christianity. That is a, that is a receiving the mercies and grace of God and producing nothing but thistles and briars. The tares in Matthew 13, they look similar to the wheat. But they're imposters. They look the same. They talk the same. They dwell in the same heavenly ground. Use the same heavenly resources. But alas they are unproductive. Fit only to be burned. The thorn and the tissue will always manifest in the life of a believer. Who yields not the works of God. Those who love it not their brethren. It's quite radical actually the, the teaching of Jesus. Because without the manifestation of true love, friends, all we are is an argument. All we are is nothing other than an argument. And Jesus said, I've come that you would have life. And there's a barrenness in much of the church today because there is a refusal to embrace love. You may say that's not true, Pastor, it is true. There's a refusal to embrace what Jesus' love is. And I was thinking about this before Christmas. This, this is the thought that came to me. And I've been trying to deal with it in my mind, in my own life, because I've fallen in this area so many times. And I began to think about love. It was very cute because my, my son Jordan, my, my third son Jordan, he's getting married to a young lady in the 1st of June. Her name is a beautiful young lady, um, Chelsea Bean. Some of you will know the Bean family from Guatemala. Great missionary family that were supported from the life of the church here. So they're in the back seat, myself and Catherine, we're driving, it's Christmas time, and we're talking about love, and they're arm in arm, and they're hugging and kissing, and every time I'm not looking in the mirror, they're snogging. <laughs> and so to break the embarrassment, <clears throat> I have to cough, <laughs> no. And I began to share with them, I said, you know what, I was just meditating this morning, and the Holy Spirit so convicted me, and everyone's listening. You know, begin to think, what is love? Now we're going to look at Corinthians. We know that Corinthians 13 is phenomenal. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
And I said, I, I remember so many times in my Christian experience when I would be introduced to another Christian for the first time or meet another believer. This pseudo-spiritual judgment would rise up in me. I don't quite know about him. There's something about her. I just don't know what it is, but there's something about them. Do you know what that is? That's not the discernment of spirits. The discernment of spirit is, is it a sheep or is it a wolf? I'm talking about sheep. And oftentimes in our manifestation as Christians, what we are saying is that I will not love them and I will not give myself to them until I know their dark secret. It's a manipulation. When the way, and listen, friends, I don't want to know your dark secret and I don't want you to know mine. God knows them already. Amen. When we are called to be vulnerable and we are called to embrace, amen. And we are called regardless. And if we get hurt, we get hurt, amen. That's what Jesus, when you put your arms out like this, let me tell you, there's a nail can go on one side and there's a nail can go on the other. But I'm telling you, it's still the love of God that we are called to manifest. And so I began to think, I said, how many times as a minister, as a Christian, over all those 40 years, how many hundreds of people have I refused to put my arms around in love because I detected falsely. And what it was, it was an undisguised reality about my falseness that I was refusing to love. Refusing to love, refusing to embrace. Oh, there's something about him. Of course there's something about him. There's something about you. Something about everybody. And we get caught up in this little sort of quasi pseudo spiritual discernment. Oh, the little beacon goes up. Oh, there's something about them. That's a refusal to love. I just want to tell you, call it out for what it is. It's absolutely saying, God, I will not embrace them. I will not put my arms around them. I won't fully take them to my heart because there's something about them. Thank God he didn't deal with you like that. Oh my goodness, 40 years later, and this thing's coming out of me and thinking, God, how do you even love me? But I receive that love because I know you do. Christ demonstrated his love to me that while I was still a sinner outside of Christ, God, Christ died for the ungodly. And so in this, in this incredible endeavor where the grace of God is lavished upon the church, when the new law, the new Torah, the new commandment from the Savior is to love, when John the Apostle says to love, when the whole Bible is now a revelation, when all the laws of the prophets and all the commandments hinge upon love, friends, that needs to be the center of the church. That, that is going to be the mark of true Christianity. People will come into our ranks and they'll have all sorts of mess-ups going on. But have you got the courage and the faith to wrap your arms around them and love them? There's something hollow about some of our love. We can go out onto the streets of Manhattan and New York City. We can meet the worst pimp, druggy, murderer, rapist, drunk, bum, you name it, and tell them that Jesus loves them. That's wonderful. That's right. But we have a problem embracing one another. That's messed up. There's something wrong with that, friends. To say, I can't love the body of Jesus Christ. Unless every eye is dotted, every T is crossed, I won't embrace them. Oh, and he's a Baptist, he doesn't quite believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh, he's a Presbyterian, or she's this, or he's that. Or, oh, they're still, you know, in a strange relationship. I want to tell you, friends, we don't embrace wrong doctrines, but we see in the Spirit men and women, and we love them, amen. 
we loved and we simply let that love that was being lavished upon us become extended to it because when that love comes to you and you don't let it flow out to this world, it produces thorns and thistles. That's how it happens. All of a sudden you begin to refuse to put that love, the love that God is lavishing upon you. Oh, it's soaking it up. You're soaking it up, but you're producing nothing for the kingdom. You're the most thorny, bristly, harsh, fork-tongued person. And oh, it's because of your discernment. How often there seems more the point or the dagger of betrayal or the sting of destructive talk rather than the fruit of love, which is patience and kindness and keeping no records of wrong. I believe that the Lord is trying to reveal something to us even in this scripture. When I began to read this, I began to see something that made my heart rejoice. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, Our great desire is that you would keep on loving others as life lasts in order to make certain your hope. Now we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. If you want to make your faith certain, if you want to grow your faith, if you want to strengthen your faith, friends, then you must continue to love your brothers. The food of your faith is very simple, to love one another. That means even the most nominal, educated person in our midst, or no, educated, no education whatsoever, can grow in faith because we can now become a conduit of the love of God. It's the most incredible thing, the youngest to the greatest friends. Doesn't matter where you come from, what street you live in, what your socioeconomic background is, what your level of Bible knowledge is. If you start to love the brethren first, the Bible says, do good to all men, but particularly to the household of faith. My appeal to the Christian this morning, to some that are watching this message from far, and you've isolated yourself from the people of God. You've withdrawn the hand of friendship. You're sitting in your couch and you're sitting in your chair this morning and you're saying, well, I withdrew from them because they're like this and I withdrew from them because they're like that. I want to tell you, you know in your life right now there's nothing but thorns and thistles. When God has called you to embrace his body and love them, love the brothers, love the brethren, you're ready to lay down your life for them. Can you imagine if love became the attribute of our church? When I walked around last night and I saw the happiness and the joy and the love of the people, it was a feeding of my soul, friends. It was something that you begin to, you begin to get it. You begin to say, this is what it's all about, friends. Faith, work it by love. That's what Galatians 5, 6 tells us. Hallelujah. Faith, work it by love. Paul tells us in Ephesians, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with great patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. He tells us in Colossians 3.14, above all the virtues, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect unity. Romans 13, 80 says, 
Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Jesus, reduce me to love. Lord, strip me away of all my pretense. Lord, bring it back to what it's all about. The revelation of the love of God. Because God is love. And when we begin to reflect that love that he's pouring into our lives. When we let that water soak up and bear a harvest of love for the brethren. That's where it starts. It starts in the church. It starts between you and me friends. It starts between people in this assembly. In every assembly that come together. And have that spirit to love one another. To be ready to lay down your life for your brothers and your sisters. John 15, 12 says, my commandment is this. Love one another as I have loved you. Hebrews tells us, let us how to consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This is God's model, friends. This is God's way. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is first of all, love, joy, peace, kindness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. Of which there's no law, there's no prohibition, friends. There's nothing to hold you back. These are the attributes that the Father wants us to excel in. And we start by embracing it in the body. We start, friends, by looking at one another by the Spirit. We start by laying down our lives and putting ourselves out and having grace. Amen. We start to grow our faith as we begin to say, how do I grow in my faith? You start to grow your faith when you start to love people around you. The knowledge will catch up. Don't worry. Your doctrine level will come up to speed in time. But you will grow in faith. The most faithful people I've ever met in, in, in the work of God are men and women that simply go about loving other people. It's amazing in that house last night, in that room last night, all these people talking to them, they're in the music ministry, the military ministry, and all different ministries, and yet there's you could see they're growing in their faith. Why? Because they're loving one another. It's a simple walk, isn't it, really? I mean, it can't get it much simpler than that. How do I grow? People come to me, how do I increase, how do I increase my faith? How do I grow in faith? And it's simple. Love your brethren. Our desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain what you hope for will come true. Oh, hallelujah. Wherever you are in this journey, Christian, wherever you are, young or old, whether you're starting this race or not, this is the way the Savior lived. This is how he commands us. This is what he says to us. 1 John says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Romans 12 says, be devoted to one another in love. Friends, I'm not talking about some sort of mystical, emotional thing. I'm not talking about the old foreigner song, I want to know what love is. I'm talking about meeting people in the goodness of God, amen. And just reaching out with the love of God. We know what love is, you see. It's not that I want to know it. I know what love is. Love came down and rescued me. Love set me free. Love lifted my burdens. Love lifted me up out of the pit. The grace and the love and the mercy of God. That was the motivation of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. The world that was fighting against him. The world that cursed his name. The world that was indifference to his being there. He wrapped his arms around this world and he loved it. 
and he still loves it. He hasn't changed. I've always loved John 3.16 because when I read it, I think, oh man, 2,000 years later, he still loves the world. Oh, well, what about the millennials today? Oh, they're so far from God. We're all far from God. Oh, it's so dark. It's always dark. Oh, they're so indifferent. Everybody's indifferent. Just to different degrees. But the love of God, when they come into Times Square Church, we've got awesome worship. We've got an amazing preaching team here. But I'm telling you, how they will know you're mine is that you love one another. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love thinks higher of you. Love is not wanting to believe the negative. It wants to believe the higher about you. Amen. And you're right to do that about your brother. You're right to say to your brother, you're better than that because you are. You're not defined by your sin and your failure. You're defined by what God says. And when you begin to see that, you can see other people. You're not defined by your failure. There's many here today and you're here and your head is hanging low because it wasn't a good week for you. And somewhere there was unflattering moments or times in your life, but you're not defined by that. You're defined by the love of God. He has lavished his love upon you. Hallelujah. He has never withdrawn himself. And if he hasn't withdrawn himself, dare I ever withdraw myself from you. And that is the unity of the Christian friends. To be able to walk on this world, to be his hands and his feet and his embrace. This is love, friends. This is the true sark of this is what God, this is what wins. This is what always wins. Love always triumphs. The food of faith is love. If you want to feed your faith so that your ground springs forth a harvest for the Lord, then show your love towards your brethren first. First. That's what he says. Show forth your love not just in words, but in good deeds. I love when the writer of Hebrews says, he, he talks about when the, ground, when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a crop and the far, farmer, uh, 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 God blesses it. But if it doesn't bear, it doesn't bear fruit, it bears thorns and thistles and it's useless, the farmer will condemn it. But I love when he says, dear friends, even though we are talking like this, I really don't believe it applies to you. What a nice writer. Whatever the enemy is saying to you right now, God says, I don't believe that about you. Amen. Amen. Oh, there is a condemning of the fields. There is a condemning of the tares. There is a condemning of on production. But of you this morning, who are of the spirit of God, who've been apprehended by the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the love of God, you stand indemnified. You stand without spot or wrinkle. You've been declared holy by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Jesus looks at you and says, you are clean because of the words I speak over you. Oh, to receive that this morning, Christian, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're listening to this morning, when you can hear the eternal words of Jesus rise up out of the pages of his Bible, say to you, you are clean because of the words I speak over to you. Hallelujah this morning. I say amen. I say thank you, Jesus. Oh, in order to make certain your hope will come true. Faith working by love. Oh, Jesus, I pray, God, right now, Lord Jesus, I pray that something will grip our hearts, that we would truly understand that the attribute of every Christian, of every church must be love. 
I think there is a maturing happening in this church. The finest preaching, the finest worship. And there's a metamorphosis going on in this body. People are beginning to love. People are beginning to meet. People are beginning to join together. People are beginning to esteem. And I'm telling you, in there, there is an igniting of the power of God. There is a drawing ability for the Holy Spirit, for the world to see. Where is their love in New York City? You come to Times Square Church on a Friday night. There's a bunch of young adults. They love each other. They worship Christ. There's a ministry here. They love each other. They worship Christ. You will be received. You will be welcomed. And nobody will give you a false hug. It will be a real hug. You can stab them in the back, but they make themselves vulnerable. Friends, love makes you vulnerable. And if it does, then you won't be able to love. Some of you here have been hurt. Some of you here have loved people and they haven't loved you back or they've stabbed you in the back. Some here would resist that and say, well, it's easy for you to say, I've poured myself out to people and I got stabbed again and again and again. And I would simply say to you that God is lavishing his love back upon you. I'm telling you, you're not all out of love. Don't listen to that lie. It's not true because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. He manifests his love upon you. He lavishes his love upon you. Every single day you wake up in the morning, the love of God is all over you. I'm telling you, friends, you're not out of love. It's not an old 10cc song. You're not out of love. The love of God is inside you. You can love again. It's a step of faith. Amen. Make yourself vulnerable. The Paul in the island of Malta, after he had rescued all those seamen on that ship, you know, very easily could have withdrawn his hand. Pastor Carter preaches a phenomenal message on Acts 27. You know, when he got onto that island and after they had rescued the ship from that storm and all, this, all the personnel were safe and sound, he goes there to make a fire to keep on ministering to the people and out comes a viper and bites his hand. And we know the story. It's very easy when we try to love people and someone bites us, friends. When someone tries to put you back in your corner, when someone says, I don't want your love, I don't care about you, and they snap at you and they bite. I tell you, friends, there's only one solution to that is to shake it off, amen. It's to shake it off. Cast it into the fire. It's not that it doesn't take a toll in you. It does take a toll in you. But there is a depth in God for you and me, friends. The love of God is still all over me. Hallelujah. I'm completely full of the love of God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says he has lavished his love on you. All the fountains of his love flow over your life. So rise. I'm here to remind you. You're full of love. Now go and begin to embrace and show that love to a dying world. Let God... Let God's love be seen that men and women would take note that you've been with Christ. That men and women would take note that there's something of the divine nature of God. The essence of God flowing through your life. Friends, it will answer every argument. It will pull down every wall. And it starts in the household of God. There's something hollow about a love that can love an outside world and can't love the brethren within these four walls. There's something hollow, a dishonesty about that love, where we can go to the, the worst failure, but we can't embrace one another. That needs to come to an altar and resolve it with God. That needs to come to an altar and get resolved with God. Amen. Because God, who's rich in mercy, God, who's rich in compassion and love, has shed abroad his love in our hearts. Times Square Church is a nugget for you. Food of your faith 
is love. If you want to grow in faith, start to love. I'm going to say it again. If you want to grow in faith, start loving your brothers and your sisters. You will have the most mightiest of years. Amen. Here we are at the start of a new year and a new decade. And God would bring us back to a fundamental foundation stone of the New Testament church. Building it on the love of God. Being filled with the love of God. The Apostle Paul says that the love of God compels me. Why? Because he was a man that fully embraced the everyday experience of knowing that God loved him, regardless of whether he got out of bed the right way or the wrong way, regardless of how he felt in himself, he knew that God loved him. And I tell you, friends, when you know you're loved, when you know that you've been embraced by God himself, it gives you a confidence to go and embrace the ones that are around you, the awkward ones. I know you're not an awkward person. There's nobody like you, but there's a few others in the church that are awkward. Yes, you're awkward as well. then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. The spiritually dull are the ones that are always looking at the arguments and never seeing the people. The spiritually dull are the ones that are talking about how many angels dance on the head of a pin. The spiritually dull who are always chasing after the doctrine, are you an Arminianist or a Calvinist? Are you uh, this or that? Are you a pre, post or A? That's a preposterous question. <laughs> the spiritually dull are all about the aesthetics. The spiritually dull are all about the program. The spiritually dull friends are all about themselves. But the ones that are alive are loving people, amen. They are always bearing their fruit in season. Whatever they do shall prosper. Don't forget who you are. You are the trees, the planting of the Lord. You soak up his goodness so that, the, so that you will produce a fruit in season. That men can come and pluck from, pluck from your trees something of life. That the, the, the birds of the earth can come and nest. There's something that tells people the very aroma of your life testifies to the goodness of God. You're the greatest Christians I've ever met. I could tie them up. In knots doctrinally, but I'm telling you, friends, they could tie me up in knots with the presence of God because they have learned the secret of growing in faith. I've met little old ladies, I've met people who are inconsequential, janitors in churches, hoovering when everyone is gone. You know, vacuuming, you call it, we call it hoovering, vacuuming as, as everyone is gone. And you come up and talk to them after a service and they just talk about the love of God. Hallelujah. Oh God. Oh God, this morning. Would you reduce me to love? Would you pare back all the greatness that I think I am in myself and all my great sense of knowledge of history, geography, doctrine, church, life, whatever it may be, friends, there is no greater revelation than the love of God. There's no greater message than the love of God. In our endeavor to see the work of God grow, Start to love. Make yourself vulnerable again. Put out the hand of friendship. Yes, you're going to get hurt. 
but the love of God will lavish all over you again and heal you. Some here, you need a touch from God. You need to start loving your spouse again. Some here, you need to come to an altar because God is lavishing his love upon you and you're just soaking it up and it's producing thorns and thistles because it's not flowing through you. It's just all self-absorbed. It's all about me. It's all about my feelings, how I feel. It's all about my well-being. You need to get your eyes on him. You need to stop looking at yourself. You need to start looking to him. And you see the selflessness of Christ. A beautiful song. Just one look from him. I'm going to invite you to come this morning. It's nothing very profound, but yet this is profound. If you want to grow your faith, start loving. The food of your faith is love. And if you need a touch from God, God will touch you because some of you here, there's a blockage. Something has damned it up in you and something has soaked the love of God. You've been a benefactor of it. You've, you've enjoyed the love of God, but you haven't flowed it out to other people. And God has a controversy with that sort of lifestyle. God has a controversy with that because that is not a reflection of who he is. That is not a reflection of what the church is meant to be. You are the light of the world. You are the city on a hill. You are the hands, the feet, the voice, the compassion, the embrace of Christ. And it starts here. Maybe you're visiting this morning. When you go back to the body that you're connected to, you need to start loving them. Maybe you're sitting on the outside looking in because the whole church is wrong except for you. I'm reminded of the old story about all these cadets. They're graduating and they're marching in parade. And one of the mothers sees them marching, sees her Johnny. She turns to the other mother and she says, they're all marching wrong but my Johnny. <laughs> Maybe you're at home and oh, Times Square Church is off here. And Pastor Nick's church, you're way off there. Someone else is off there and you're dwelling in an isolated house. I want to tell you, you want to put your arms around the church and love her, warts and all. And this is what's going to bring revival. This is what's going to turn a millennial generation because it's a generation without love. Fathers, mothers, society, they've missed so much that's been taken from them. They have no demonstration of it. They don't know what love is. They're running to every place of bondage and sin, friends, to, to try and somehow sedate that need for loving them. And here it is, right in the heart of the crossroads of the world, here at Times Square Church, the love of God is being shed abroad in our hearts. May God help you. May God help I to reflect him and honor him. This is how men will know you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. No more arguments, they're pathetic. No more ifs and no more buts. No more pointing of the finger and turning away from our own flesh. Amen? Amen. No more long stares with one eye closed. you understand? <laughs> no standing back with your pseudo-spiritual assessment of everybody around you. 
No more that I know best, you know, no, he knows best. Love, why? Because you must. You have to. It's what he wants. It's the only thing that will win. Stand with me this morning, wherever you are. If God is touching you. If you say, Pastor, I need a touch of the love of God in my life again. And I need an unstopping and unblocking of this love so that I can meet the challenges around. I'm going to invite you to come. Let God so fill you with his love. And you will be known as the most tenderest man or woman in this assembly. That men and women would see you and they say, that is a godly man. That is a Christ-like man. That's a Christ-like woman. That's a godly woman. There is love in them. I want to tell you, friends, this is the reflection that God wants to bring out of your life. That men and women would see you. And when they'd see you, they'd see Christ. And they'd say, that is the embrace of Christ. That is the heart of Christ this morning. Friends, if you start to love, your faith will grow. Your roots will go deep. Your experience of God will be rich. There will be fruit on your tree. Amen. And you will reap your fruit in season. Whatever you do will prosper. Amen. Blessed is the man. Who does not stand in the way of the sinner or the ungodly. He's like the tree, the planting of the Lord that bears his fruit in season. Psalm 1. There was a man who wrote a book once. It's called The Happiest People on Earth. He said, despite the condition of the world around, we are still the happiest people on the face of the earth. The word happy means blessed. And we are blessed this morning with the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. We're going to go to God in prayer because this church needs a baptism of love. It's already breaking out, but it needs to be embraced. Every Christian says, oh no, this is what Christianity is about. It's having that sense of the love of God in my heart for every man, every woman, every child. It's first of all, starting here with the beloved in the family. It's false if it's not here, friends. It's false if it's not among our own. And so if you, are, if you are in this assembly today, I'm inviting you to come to an altar. If there's something in your heart against your brother or your sister, if there's anyone here that you're looking up the long stare, if there's judgment rising in your heart, I would say take a risk in love. Trust God in love. Begin to embrace and love and see what the Holy Spirit won't do. But a man or a woman that would reflect the greatest characteristic of God which is love, because God is love. This is what this world needs, friends. It needs loving Christians, graceful Christians, kind Christians, loving one another with the love that he loves us with. Hallelujah. If I could speak with all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't have love for others, it would be nothing. Love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. 
No, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and, though I, and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, these, now we see these imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. And three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And as you and I commit to love, friends, our faith will grow. Our revelation of God will grow. Our experience of the supernatural will grow. And our experience of true revival will absolutely grow. Will absolutely be a guarantee of heaven. Father, I'm praying right now in my own heart, Lord, that you would bring me back, Lord, to this great principle, Lord. Strip me back, Father. Make me a loving man, caring man. These, my friends at the altar, my brothers and my sisters, Father, those who are responding in their hearts, standing at their chair, wherever they are, Lord. Whoever's listening to this message, God, that you're stirring them. We come to you today knowing that you have lavished your love upon us, Lord. And much of the time we have just let it soak into the earth and it hasn't produced anything but selfishness because we haven't turned that love towards others. So we are here this morning at this altar and we say, God, continue that love in our hearts and let it be a conduit. Let us be a conduit for that love that it will flow not just to us but through us to this world. That God, indeed, we would give you an honest reflection that we would reflect you honestly and accurately in the world. That then when we speak your word, God, it would be spoken from true kindness, true love and integrity, that there would be nothing fake about our overture. There would be nothing self-serving, Lord, in how we would deal with another brother or sister. But our motivation would be to love them the way you have loved us. So, Father, I pray, God, as we journey, Lord, and as this world needs to see a testimony, Lord, that God, the God of love, the God of the Bible, the God that so loves and still loves this world, how you gave and continue to give Jesus to us, how you gave and continue to give your love to us, that your name would be brought to reputation to every Christian, that when they would see us, Lord, when they'd look at us, they would see you. Lord, this would be my prayer, Lord. It wouldn't be the strength of my argument. It wouldn't be the strength of my understanding, even of doctrine. It would That they would see a true reflection in my life, Lord, of the true love of God. Love that covers a multitude. Love that believes all things and hopes all things. Love that is kindly, Lord. Love that, Lord, is long-suffering. Love that would believe higher of people, O oh God. Love, Lord, that would endure, Lord, even injustice for the sake of your name. So I do pray, Jesus, Lord, that there will be a fresh touch here at this altar today. In my life, in these lives, Lord, we stand simply before you. We come before you and say, God, we are nothing without this love, Lord, moving through our lives to this broken world. Let us be. Let us be a generation, oh God, that brings your love and your mercy, particularly to the household here and then to a dying world. 
I pray for any Christian that has stumbled with another. If there's something in the heart against another believer this morning that we would be quick to go and just embrace. We don't even need to talk about it. We just need to love because it covers it. So Jesus, right now I pray, Lord, even if there's spouses here, Lord, men and women, Lord, that they've lost their love for one another, yet they would talk to their colleagues about your love. And yet they can't show it to their own house. They can tell the world how much Jesus loves them and can't show it to their own children. They could go to a bar and they can tell the worst sinner that Christ loves them, but indifferent to their own brothers and sisters. Oh God, there's something wrong. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord God. What contradiction we live, Lord. Oh God. What hypocrisy, Lord. Lord, our love is to be without hypocrisy. It's meant to be true. It's meant to be level. It's meant to be towards the body. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you bring great healing here this morning. A great release. In Jesus' name. 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 Hallelujah. Raise your hands. Just worship. Just raise your hands. Just start to love the Lord. Just say, Lord, I love you. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Undeserving, Lord, but you love me. And I receive it. And now, Lord, I want to be that conduit of your love. Make me a loving person. Oh, God, never let me to go back to where I was. Let me reflect you correctly, oh, God. And help me to love it. Every man or woman that you bring me across, Lord. In Jesus' precious name.